Welcome to Muffly Auto, a Harry Potter podcast where we fill your ears to prevent you from hearing nearby conversations. I'm Josh. And I'm Blake, and today Crumb's date with Harry leaves him unconscious as we continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and come now to the 28th chapter, The Madness of Mr. Crouch. Now, we'll get to the madness of Mr. Crouch, but talk about a madness of creating a podcast, Josh, and it's, uh, it's a bit of work. There's a, there's a fair bit to it. It is a bit of work, Blake. In addition to our time, which we, I'd say, largely love spending, because we have so much of it. But in addition <laughs> to that time, which uh, it's great to spend with with each other, there are a few uh, few ongoing costs. And some people recently, Blake, have helped us put those aside. Yeah, which is awesome. I feel like regular listeners would have heard at the very end of our episodes, we're suggesting buy me a coffee as a way to support us, which is just sort of like a platform that enables our people to be members or one-off gifts and things like that to support us. And so we just thought we would provide that way just to kind of offset some of those costs of of running this podcast. And so we just had our very first supporter, Geneva. So shout out to Geneva for signing up. She said, I really appreciate you guys. You are a calm and safe space in this chaotic world which is pretty fun. You know, that's a nice comment. Uh, definitely touched us and, you know, was we were very appreciative of, of that and your support. So she signed up for the Order of Merlin third class and we'll talk about that soon. But thank you, Geneva, for being uh, the very first supporter. But not only did we receive our first supporter, we also received our second uh, shortly after, Josh. A, a near avalanche of support, you know, or, or, or maybe it's the, uh, the the snowball at the beginning of an avalanche. But uh, <laughs> certainly it was exciting to receive both those in such quick succession. Yeah, so true. So this one comes from Lexi. As a shout out to Lexi, as she signed up for the Order of Merlin second class, she said, "I am loving this podcast, guys. I have basically been mainlining it since I came across y'all a few weeks ago, and wanted to thank y'all." For the hours of great Potter content, as always, I'll be looking forward to next week's episode. Well, Lexi, thank you. You're now on next week's episode, this week's episode, and uh, hopefully you enjoy that. And I appreciate the yarls. Uh, so, you know, maybe we can sort of think that Lexi is somewhere in uh, in Southern America, maybe, uh, if I uh, have uh, my yarls correct, Josh. Yeah, yeah. I, I just would like to point out that Blake is pretty much bilingual now, that he is uh, developing his his, uh, his his southern dialect. Next time, maybe the y'all won't sound quite so foreign coming out of your mouth. Yeah, I feel like maybe maybe you being North American, Josh, you could have read that part, and then well, I'm uh, I'm just glad you did. I'm just glad you did. Okay. I'm just I'm just surprised I didn't put like a sort of a, a southern sort of twang, a sort of accent with it. Uh, you know, I uh, I don't want to offend Lexi. But there you go. <laughs> so so Josh, you know, we we love uh, obviously our fans, we love our listeners, we love now our, our, our supporters. So thank you, Geneva and Lexi. But what is that sort of money going yeah. towards? Contrary to popular belief, we have not yet uh, hit the big times. We are not yet making it big <laughs> on the uh, on the podcast money front. But these two supporters have gone a, a significant way to paying for some of the ongoing fees uh, in having a podcast. If you have a website, if you have a hosting site for the actual files themselves, all these things do cost just a little bit of money. And like the Buy Me a Coffee, they are ongoing costs. So it's not as though we can just pay for them at one time. And so uh, the Buy Me a Coffee is great. It means that uh, we can turn a, a hobby for you and I that costs us money into a hobby that's maybe close to free. Um, <laughs> and so we are very excited about that. Yeah, it's uh, pretty exciting. So thank you, Geneva and Lexi for that. Now, you would have heard us mentioning things like 
uh, Order of Merlin third class and Order of Merlin second class. So these are just kind of how we've structured our three tiers of membership. So um, if you're interested in that, go check out Buy Me a Coffee, where you can sign up for a, a membership of, of uh, Order of Merlin third class for as uh, a little as $5 a, a month, and then second class $10, and then first class uh, $15. So, so we have uh, a third and a second, and someone has yet to take that first class position. So uh, we'll be uh, we'll be waiting. Uh, but anyway, so if you wanted to do that, www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash muffliato pod. And, and one reminder on that, you can sign up for as little or as long of a time as you like. So if you want to just do a uh, one-off coffee, um, you want to say, hey, Josh and Blake loved that last episode. Maybe you guys could go on a coffee date kind of like Victor Crumb and Harry Potter do in today's chapter. Yes, um, exactly. Totally fine as well. We'd love that. We'd appreciate that. Don't feel any pressure to sign up for years and years. Yes, exactly. And so now speaking of Harry and Crumb's coffee date, uh, which uh, I don't think includes Included coffee, uh, but it was uh, as good as a coffee date. So, uh, Josh, let's get into this chapter. Yeah, this uh, this coffee date really uh, starts out bad, gets better, and then ends worse. So, uh, <laughs> not exactly the template you want to follow if you are taking <laughs> a good friend out for a coffee date. So, uh, chapter summary, Blake. Uh, the trio visit the kitchens to give Dobby his present, socks, as a thank you gift for the gillyweed discovery. Once there, they discuss with Winky the news of Mr. Crouch's absence. This news upsets her greatly. Hermione complains about the servile relationship between wizards and elves, but the elves do not share her frustration. Instead, they are all too eager to give Ron the food he asks for, some of which they will send to Sirius. The next morning at breakfast, Hermione receives stacks of letters accusing her of mistreating and abandoning her love with Harry. All the letters appear to be in reaction to Rita Skeeter's article in Witch Weekly. In Care of Magical Creatures class, Harry introduces the students to Nifflers, a creature which is often used to search for shiny things. He organizes a competition to see whose Niffler digs up the most gold coins. Before the students become too excited, he explains that the Nifflers are digging up leprechaun gold, which will soon disappear. Upon hearing this, Ron confronts Harry about the gold he gave him during the Quidditch World Cup. Harry has forgotten about this, but his oblivion frustrates Ron all the more. Hermione continues to receive letters from the readers of Witch Weekly, and is more motivated than ever to discover how Rita Skeeter got her information. She meets with Professor Moody to rule out any chance of an invisibility cloak at the last task. The Defense Against the Dark Arts professor confirms that he has not seen her, or anyone, under one. Ron receives a frustrated reply from Percy, who repeats his report that he has given over and over again to the Daily Prophet, assuring them that he is in regular written communication with Mr. Crouch while his boss remains unwell. The champions get information about the third task in late May. They will have to face a large maze inside a towering magical hedge. Inside will be magical creatures and other obstacles designed by the staff of the school. The first champion to touch the cup in the middle will be declared the winner. Harry and Cedric will start at the same time, while the other champions will start after a delay. After meeting with Ludo and the other champions, Victor confronts Harry about the recent drama with Hermione. Harry promises to him that there has never been more than a friendship between them, and Victor softens his anger toward them. Suddenly, near the forest, they see Mr. Crouch, acting insane and mentioning that he needs Professor Dumbledore. Crumb stays with Crouch, and Harry goes to find the headmaster. When Harry and Dumbledore return, Crumb, is lying on the, Crumb lies stunned on the ground, and Mr. Crouch is nowhere to be found. Hagrid manages to resuscitate the Durmstrang champion, and once awake, he accuses Mr. Crouch of stunning him. 
Karkaroff and Moody are called next, but Moody appears suddenly before he has actually been reached. Dumbledore orders Harry to return to Gryffindor Tower and wait until morning to send any messages. Harry is frustrated and confused about how Dumbledore knew of his plans to contact Sirius and why he had to wait until morning. This chapter really accelerates very quickly. Um, Mm. You know, this is a long chapter and with a lot of little pieces in it, as you might have been able to tell from Josh's uh, summary there. But I I just find that, you know, we really get to this part kind of almost, I'd almost want more detail in this, you know, but it's something that kind of comes by quickly. And maybe that, you know, shows how quick the actual event is, how quick all of this is happening. And we don't stay on it long enough to maybe think about some of the things too much that Mr. Crouch actually said and we're kind of distracted with some of the other details but Mr. Crouch does give us a few little pieces and things like that which we'll, mm. we'll talk about but man I just want to say Hagrid he he jumped up to this and, and all of a sudden kind of his uh, maybe his giant side sort of took over for a little bit lifting Karkaroff up like that. Yeah yeah he uh, he won't stand having anybody insult Professor Dumbledore with him around. We, yeah. we see this time and again, you know, if you want, if you want Hagrid to punch somebody, start insulting Professor Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So, uh, yeah, please don't, you know, don't insult Albus Dumbledore. You shouldn't, because why insult Dumbledore? He's uh, he's pretty cool. But we obviously get this uh, sort of little Victor and uh, Harry uh, kind of uh, go through, stroll through the uh, the forest. They obviously encounter Mister Crouch, and it kind of gets uh, a little bit intense from there. But man, how annoying is Snape? Because like. Just, I always, I get so annoyed that like he can't put aside that like, you know, his hatred for Harry to like be like, I see that Harry's in distress, and you know some of these keywords that maybe Harry's spitting out uh, seems like something bad's gone wrong, you know, and then it does take. Albus Dumbledore coming down and actually talking with Harry to change. Because if, you know, if Dumbledore wasn't there and uh, he was, you know, somewhere else, Snape wouldn't have helped. And, you know, it's just like, oh man, something worse could have happened. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's one of those things that, uh, as you, as you think about that, you just think, I don't know if any students at, at Hogwarts are as, as petty as Professor Snape is. No, um, he's just so, so frustrating. Yeah. Well, like the, the key theme, I think I struggled with this one because of how many different little mini events happen in this, mm. this chapter. It seems like there's one after another that just don't have a ton to do with each other. But one way of kind of tying them all together is with the theme of frustration. In the kitchens, Hermione is clearly frustrated that none of the elves share her desire to free them, as as she would put it. They're very happy in their state. She is frustrated with the letters she's receiving from all the people who are frustrated with her that she has left Harry. She's most frustrated with Rita Skeeter. Uh, Ron is frustrated with Harry and more frustrated with the fact that he is poor. Percy is frustrated with all the people who keep asking about Mr. Crouch. Uh, Crumb is frustrated that now the person he thinks might be a girlfriend candidate has another suitor. Um, <laughs> all of these issues uh, of frustration. And then, then at the very end, you also have Hagrid experiencing more than frustration with Professor Karkaroff and eventually <laughs> punching him in the face. So... Yeah, frustration all around in this chapter. I like uh, Crumb's frustration, you know, that yeah. uh, that all of a sudden Harry is, uh, you know, is kind of like, well, you know, she wasn't giving me the attention that I, I deserved at the uh, second task after we completed mm. it. I just saved her, you know, from uh, being underwater and she's focusing on Harry. And, uh, you know, so 
Yeah, I, I think Crumb, yes, he's a maybe he's a bit jealous uh, of uh, all that attention. Um, not that he needs to be, uh, but coming from Crumb's perspective, I think it's very, you know, it makes sense that he might be like, hey, what's going on here? You know, she spends a lot of time with you. Uh, and uh, is there anything going on? And uh, and Harry, once again, is trying to like reassure being like, no, nothing's happening. But it is nice. It must be a little encouragement to Harry that, uh, you know, here's Victor Crumb, a, uh, you know, a world uh, renowned Quidditch player, and he's a little bit jealous of Harry. Yeah, yeah, what a what a boost to his confidence to be like, you know, just months ago I was goggling at this at this guy at the Quidditch World Cup and now he's frustrated with me because he thinks I'm swooping in on uh, on Hermione. Like a friendship that that also faces a little bit of tension, although much less than uh, than Crumb and and Harry would be Harry and Ron. Um, mm. And this repeated issue of Ron's money troubles and money tension. Yeah, we finally see that almost the the payoff for all the way back at the start at the uh, the World Cup Quidditch World Cup, the uh, the leprechaun gold uh, that rained down, and then Ron gave it to to Harry to kind of pay him off for the uh, Omni Oculars. Now you have to buy me a Christmas gift, <laughs> you know that sort of thing. Yes, and, yes, uh, and Harry doesn't even know that the gold vanishes in his possession which is saying something i don't know you know what the uh, the galleon is uh you know the equal to in you know canadian dollars us dollars and new zealand dollars but say it is you know a couple of it's a couple of 20 dollar notes i don't i don't know you know 10 dollar notes 20 dollar notes i feel like you notice if something like that you know maybe goes missing but but harry doesn't um, and yes, it was a bit of a stressful time after, you know, that money gets uh, given to Harry. Things kind of all happened and, you know, uh, the dark mark and everything. But yeah, uh, Harry uh, Harry doesn't know money. And that kind of causes a little bit more tension. You know, we know that's a pretty big issue for Ron is the, is the money side of things. And it ultimately comes back to that comment, you know, I hate being poor. And it just makes, mm. you know, Hermione and Harry feel a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. You, like, what do you say to that? It's like, hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He could just kind of leaves them with nothing to say. And and I think yeah. this is something that I think we've talked about how the different Weasleys deal with that. And, and it's certainly something they all struggle with. But it seems to be this this sore spot most for Ron. Yeah. You know, I don't, like we, we don't know the older two brothers very well. Um, Percy kind of leads him towards ambition. Fred and George, ambition of a different kind. They they want to make money. Ron just kind of seems to sulk at this point. And, yep. and it definitely is the, the least becoming, I think, of how the other people in the family respond to it. Yeah, they the others kind of just, um, you know, pick up their socks kind of thing. Or oh, I should say, they just pull up their socks and get to work. They, they pick know? up their socks off the floor and they just... <laughs> they 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 pick their socks up and they put them in the drawer because they they clean their room and, and because Mrs really, Weasley raised them better than that. Ron fell short. Uh, no, so <laughs> whilst Ron, uh, yeah, Ron just needs to both pick up his socks and pull up his socks um, <laughs> and. <laughs> And and just be grateful he has socks. Dobby would love nothing more to have socks. Uh, oh, exactly. dear, we need to we need yeah. to kill this. Okay, um, but you know it does say something that that Harry is is not just someone who has a lot of money, but it's just not something that crosses his mind in the wizarding world. Um, and, and I think what's what Ron is missing is that Harry understands in a way that probably no one else at Hogwarts does 
what it's like to be truly poor. He he is not someone who is was born, um, or he was born rich, I guess, but he was not somebody who experienced that wealth until very very recently. And I think no. Ron loses sight of that too much. Yeah, with with all the uh, the talk about the Dursleys, uh, you know, dying, you know, uh, uniforms and base uh, in you know sinks and things like that um, for for Harry to for normal school that sort of stuff and all the other little like lack of food and this and that, you know, it's like Harry was Harry was kind of not not living in his wealth or anything like that until he got opened up to the the, the Wizarding World. Yeah, that if if Ron kind of recognized that a little bit more, he might find some some commonality and some encouragement there. So yeah. um, hopefully, hopefully he'll uh, he'll realize that his friend might understand a little bit more than he gives him credit for. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Harry just has financial peace. You know, maybe he's just put on a little bit of Dave Ramsey, little financial podcast, and he's just <laughs> you know, yeah, Harry's not worried about money. You know, he's just he's he's you know living that lovely financial peace, and he's he's all goods. But you know, Ron Ron's a little bit behind. And one thing to note about Hermione, so she's obviously signed herself up for all this uh, hate mail pouring in. Uh, not, not really, but just due to that article, people are writing in, and it kind of goes to show you the uh, the readership that this article has and uh, the people coming to Harry's defense, uh, which is kind of sweet, uh, but clearly they uh, do not think that Rita Skeeter is a misleading reporter and that everything she says must be the truth, but she gets hate mail. And unfortunately, Mrs. Weasley is also a reader, and so she gets mm. a small uh, Easter egg, I think, compared to yes. compared to the uh, you know the others, which... I always felt there was like a a funny little kind of thing that JK put in there uh, just because, yeah, it's just like, uh, ouch, like a little kind of, uh, what do they call that? Passive aggressiveness or something like that. But yeah. I do like that you kind of see that even the... The, the worst of Mrs. Weasley is still better than a lot of people. You know, that she, she still sent something, right? Yeah. 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 She's not sending, what is it, like curses, pout, like the, the yeah. powder stuff or like, you know, think anything like that. So that's pretty sweet. Um, looking at Victor Crumb, uh, obviously he wants to know what's up with Hermione and Harry. We talked about that kind of that he's uh, a little bit jealous. And, uh, but one of the things I noted, which was must have been really nice to Harry, and maybe he thinks about it later on because um, we don't get any quidditch this year. But uh, he uh, he does compliment Harry on his flying in that first task. And coming from Victor Crumb, that must be that that would be a pretty encouraging little boost. Yeah, it's one of the, it's one thing to have uh, have have Ron comment on how good of a flyer you are. It's a whole other thing to have a professional <laughs> Quidditch player, potentially the best seeker in the world at that time, comment on uh, your flying ability. Um, and you know, obviously, Harry's probably just thinking, if only I could be getting ready for a. Uh, a Quidditch final at Hogwarts oh, rather than the third task. You can just yeah. tell he's not in- really enjoying this thing. No, yeah. no. He's he's kind of riding along with it, hoping not yes. to die. Uh, just yeah, that's waiting. right. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's kind of like he's on a bull just waiting to be like bucked off, right? And yeah. and it's kind of like, oh, man, when's this going to happen? When, the, when am I going to get hurt or seriously injured or dead? Because that's apparently someone's goal in all of this. Yes. Um, so it's a little yeah. bit crazy. But looking- and he, he's thinking to himself, oh. man, I would just love to get seriously injured in Quidditch rather than die <laughs> at the hands of an enemy in yeah. <laughs> In this tournament yeah exa- exactly it's like would i want death from a you know death eater or some kind of you know voldemort support whatever yeah. or would i rather be you know brutally injured by just some kind of accident playing quidditch well 
I think the Quidditch thing, you know, there's uh, yeah. Madame Pomfrey yeah. could sort me out, but yeah, the the whole someone literally trying to kill me is uh, is probably not the best at all. Uh, but this chapter is called The Madness of Mr. Crouch, so uh, we would be uh, definitely uh, off if we didn't talk about Mr. Crouch himself. But he stumbles out of the wood, and he is not really making sense. Mm. The only way the narration knows how to describe it is he's acting insane. He's he's mad, as the chapter title suggests. And the only thing that kind of seems to snap him out of it is his claim that he needs Professor Dumbledore. But he says yeah. pretty weird things while he's acting crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a lot of a lot of strange things. It kind of goes between you know he, he you know bewitched, but the, it's the interesting thing is like yeah he's very calm and Harry notes this right. He's very calm uh, when he is sort of talking about Percy Weasley and all that sort of stuff. And oh, can you do this and arrange this for me? And it's all like sort of previous things that have happened quite a long time ago. Uh, and mm. then you know it's very sort of uh, panicked and uh, kind of you know I don't know just it, it just seems he seems a little bit insane. But when he's kind of sounds insane and rushed and panicked, that's when he's actually kind of like got his wits about him. But he knows that maybe he only has so much time before he switches mm. back into that being sort of bewitched, a controlled sort of state. Um, and sort of uh, it's almost like it could be like a cloud over your eyes, almost, if, if you could describe it like that. But he rambles on about Bertha being dead, um, something about his son, which definitely gets, um, you know, goes over really quickly. Like we don't. Yeah. We don't kind of i don't know that bit of information is kind of quickly uh overshadowed by others and then voldemort getting stronger so you know we're given all the pieces of the puzzle and we could arrange them technically but that's the point jk doesn't want us to sort of put it all together just yet yeah and and one of the things that this event kind of dovetails together uh, with is the idea of this revelation we'll have later that that this is a manifestation of the imperious curse and and probably one Mm. of the the most clear and direct instances we see of it in the whole series you know we we see this for for quite some time we we see it up close uh, and we see somebody trying to fight it off and, um, you know, all three of those things are, are pretty unique for what we get to see here, because it's something that we more so hear about, we we see maybe in passing, but this is up close and personal and, um, and really uh, just shocking the effects. And we're not quite sure, you know, if you know, what what state could could Mr. Crouch recover to? Is this something where he's been damaged or yeah, it's hard to say, but really a close and personal view of the imperious curse. Yeah, surely, surely this much, I guess, uh, not like it's not like Mr. Crouch is using the Imperious Curse, but having it sort of put on him so much must, mm. it, it's got to do some mental damage, surely, you know, and, and him, especially maybe if he went along with it, maybe not so much, but it seems like fighting the Imperious Curse can maybe, you know, over extended periods of time could be harder and harder and put more of a strain on maybe your mental capacity. So it's kind of an interesting, I guess, you know, dynamic. It's an interesting, unforgivable curse. There's, a, there's obviously a reason why it's unforgivable, right? Uh, you, yes. Uh, yeah, it's yes. it's one of the big bads. And so, yeah, that's, that's sort of a, a big focus. And we're going to obviously, you know, get all of that explained uh, later on in some sort of later, cha- like the later chapters, um, which there's, there's not many josh this is a you know this is a huge book right i think 37 chapters um and you know we're we're 
2028 and um we're we're kind of you know we're drawing towards the end the climax of this book big sort of moment in the you know the third task and what that leads to so it's mm. getting exciting like i'm i'm both sad to leave this book because i, I really do enjoy the goblet of fire book but uh, it's kind of exciting to be like oh man we will have gone through this this monster of a book yeah and and it's one of those things that you've already mentioned like that this book does really seem to ramp up towards the end um you know it seems like if we start from the beginning of this chapter with Harry thanking Dobby for the gillyweed, um, the end of the chapter seemingly has very little to do um, with it. Obviously, yeah. we know later on who's behind Dobby's giving of the gillyweed, but yes. you know it, it starts with such a simple beginning, focusing on the second task, and ends with a, a disappearance of of someone who is closely connected with the eventual uh, villain of of the book. Yeah, I think this chapter is a has a huge focus on the character development. Right, that's where we've spent most of our our time in this episode, Josh. But I do want to just mention a couple of little world building elements that I found quite interesting. And the first one was the house elves, and that they're much more sensitive to you know whatever alcohol content is in butterbeer or just butterbeer itself than that humans are and so you know whilst whilst you're thinking why is you know wingy like this well you know it's because she's had some butterbeer and uh, you know smaller in size and uh, you know maybe something to do with their sort of metabolism but they uh yeah butterbeer kind of wipes them out so just something to keep in mind uh, when offering a house elf a, uh, a butterbeer is that you're probably going to make them uh, uh, lose their marbles a little bit and they won't be able to do their work properly but uh, keep that in mind and then the second one is uh, nifflers which I uh, I love that we actually get to see Nifflers here put in practice uh, because you know watching the Fantastic Beasts films the the Niffler that uh, Newt Scamander owns is just such a wonderful comedic relief in those films uh, that mm. I uh, I really appreciate that little creature and what if I mean kind of crazy to your lawns and and things like that but what a fun one to to take to the beach maybe there you go you know I I think a lot of people in New Zealand like have a uh, have gotten into the the hobby of metal detecting and uh, <laughs> that and makes this, that this makes us sound a, so uh, crazy josh yeah. it makes us <laughs> it makes us sound like like nutters almost like just be like oh yeah everybody i'll, I'll, put, I'll put it like this you know lots of people lots of people in new zealand lose a lot of coins over the summer season at the beach mm, um, and so i think yeah. that you know people are able to make a pretty decent uh pretty decent killing on uh on doing that as a as a hobby talking about hobbies that cost you nothing and might even make you some money some metal detecting Detecting at popular New Zealand beaches is a uh, is a good one. Uh, I don't oh, think yeah. they're finding any uh, lost treasures though, but yes. maybe a niffler can yeah. help them. Yeah, I just I just wanted to defend New Zealand for a bit. You know, we're right. we're not all yeah. out there on the beaches with metal detectors. Uh, and Speaks for yourself, Blake. <laughs> and <laughs> that's what I'm doing this holiday break. <laughs> Yeah, we we don't all wear tinfoil hats. I just don't, I just don't want people you know around the world listening to this podcast thinking, yeah. man, New Zealand, they're a bunch of weirdos over there. <laughs> um, but uh, Josh, any literary devices or sort of foreshadowing that we see within this chapter? Well, the only thing, Blake, I'd, I'd mention aside from some of the foreshadowing we've uh, talked about already, uh, is it does seem like the, the the pace of of the novel, and that's you know that is a literary device. That's a pretty primary one when we're talking about plot, how fast things are moving. Um, that that is being ramped up intentionally, um, and mm. it's it's one of those things that um, when we look at in some ways, how much we have to go in the book compared to how much of the school year is gone. Um, we, we have a pretty large section still to go, you know, about 10 chapters uh, left or you know, eight or nine. 
and and yet we we don't have very much to go in in the in the tournament there's only one task left um, we don't have very much to go in the school year it's coming to the um to the month of may um and and yet so many questions still are circling in our minds we still have potentially the the greatest scene and not not potentially like it's not going to happen but maybe the greatest scene in all of the books at the graveyard um, mm. and there's just so much to happen yet and so this this increased pace uh, moving um through so many events uh, gives us the sense that you know almost of panic like what the students are starting to feel as the big issues become more and more clear and i mean apart from all of that and you know what we've discussed uh when when looking at kind of the significance of this chapter is that we do uh, we didn't really talk about it but we do find out that the third task is a maze uh, mm. so we know what to expect coming for the third task harry knows what to expect and uh, and now he can kind of prepare with sewing uh, some sort of some basic spells and and jinxes and things like that to defend and protect him himself uh, as well as and, some of offensive ones yeah that's right like and we also know that if you are someone who has season tickets to the triwizard tournament oh, um, this might be a this might be a task you want to skip because you're just going to see a tree for the whole uh, time so yeah you know i love it the, oh. this might be a ticket you sell to kind of recoup the cost of uh of the you know the the really impressive first task that you got to watch but you know yes. season ticket holders this might be one you that you skip yeah exactly well thank you for listening to today's episode to support the podcast and keep the magic alive you can leave a rating and review on apple podcast you can also support us financially at www.mybeacoffee.com forward slash pod once again thank you geneva and lexi and to send us questions on our instagram email or website muffleadopodcast.com to continue the adventure join us next time as we discuss the 29th chapter of harry potter and the goblet of fire the dream